And we welcome you to the Thursday morning show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. We are wishing a very, very happy anniversary today to uh, one of the most vibrant and valuable uh, agencies here in southeastern Wisconsin, Racine Vocational Ministry. And I think actually now Kenosha Racine, Racine Kenosha. Racine Kenosha. Uh, vocational Ministry. So uh, that gives us some sense of the expansion of the scope of this uh, great program. 20 years they have been changing lives, uh, helping people find employment and, in a sense, uh, rebuild their lives or, or uh, help create a, a happier, more successful uh, new chapter. And uh, with us today is James Schatzman, who is executive director of, of uh, Racine Vocational Ministry, and also with us Heather Bennett, who is program director for the re-entry program. So uh, Heather has been uh, with RVM for 10 years, and uh, she would be uh, someone who is really in the trenches, working very, very directly uh, with, with, with the folks who, who benefit from all that Racine Vocational Ministries has to offer. And so uh, we want to look at their history. We want to look at their present and uh, maybe talk about their future as well. James Schatzman, Heather Bennett, we welcome both of you to the morning show. Good morning, Greg. Good morning. Really glad that you're here. So happy anniversary, and we want to also mention the the benchmark of your 5,000th uh, worker placement, which mm-hmm. uh, occurred recently, and that uh, kind of speaks to the scope of, of what uh, is, is, is going on here. So, uh, Jim, let's begin with some history. Take us back 20 years mm-hmm. uh, to the start of all this, and I'm pretty sure you were on hand at the start of all this. <laughs> I was. Uh, let's take it back 22 years. Uh, I, was, uh, I was beginning to uh, think about what the rest of my life would look like. And you really were working at Insincorator? I was I working at Insincorator, uh, directing the choir at St. Luke's Church. Uh, I was on the mission committee at St. Luke's Episcopal Church, and that was how this weird connection began to, to formulate. Um, I really was just looking for an opportunity to invest more in the community. Um, you know, I'd been busy in different forms of, of, of ministry within the church, uh, and I was really thinking, what, what could be the next chapter for me? Um, and uh, one of our committee members stumbled on an article uh, about a program called Abundant Life Ministry in Milwaukee. Uh, we looked at it, and, and, and it just seemed interesting. I, it was really focusing on helping people on the margins, get back in, back into work, and kind of in a not like a job placement agency, but more uh, supportive of the whole person. Trying to figure out, you know, what's what's keeping you in the revolving door of dead end jobs. What's what are the issues in in your home or your life or the way you view the world that's keeping you from being successful. Um, and so, in that sense, it's it was really more about the whole person, not just about getting a job. And it intrigued us. Uh, and so uh, we invited the director to Racine uh, to have a conversation. And basically we said, well, let's franchise. You know, let's, let's bring Abundant Life here to Racine. Um, and we worked on that for almost a year. Um, and and uh, then we started to get more interest, we, and interest from funders. We established our 501c3. Um, and we began to actually we came under the 501c3 of the of the Lutheran Church, the ELCA, mm. uh, and 
in the 11th hour, uh, the board of directors of Abundant Life Industries said, we don't feel stable enough to franchise. I mean, really, we were mm. right at the end of our planning process. Within, actually, we didn't know this yet, but within, within four months of opening, they said, uh, we, we're not sure we can do this. Um, wow. Which devastated the team because we, we you know, we thought Tom was going to come down and, and and actually run the agency and and, and wow. uh, um, the possibility of my position was really a teaching position that would be secondary. I'd report to him, learn the business. Um, when they pulled out and we already had two major funders interested in supporting our work, one of which was the uh, Siebert Lutheran Foundation, we just said, we have to move forward. And Tom looked at me and said, I think you can do this. Why don't you give it a shot? Hmm. And I've been looking for something like this to do, but, you know, in a kind of a vague kind of a way. Well, it dropped in my lap. And I remember hmm. going to my wife and saying, well... <laughs> what do you think? You know, I don't have to think about my salary. People just pay me. I don't now have to raise my own salary. You know, we knew, you know, instinctively that a lot of nonprofits fail early on. Uh, it's tough to get something off the ground and keep funders excited about what you're doing mm. beyond a startup. A startup is always somewhat sexy to it. Right. You know, it's like something new. It's fresh. Uh, and then you got to figure out how to sustain that. Uh, but we did. It, it happened. Uh, we had a lot of support. We had a fantastic uh, early uh, committee of uh, pastors and people in the community, uh, two of whom you know pretty well. James Peters was on our initial board, mm -hmm. and so was Cara uh, Scatrud, Cara uh, Baylor now. She mm -hmm. was Scatrud at the time. Um, and so we had this incredible support. We started and uh, off and running. We got our very first week was very interesting. We uh, were wondering, you know, when you start a business, it's weird. You, you sit at your desk and you wait for somebody to call you. You figure out how you need to <laughs> generate some kind of activity. Um, but uh, uh, Tom, through Abundant Life Ministry, uh, positioned us to do a job fair for a brand-new Jewel Osco store that was going to open. And so we just started with a bang, and there was a lot of publicity. The paper was very interested. Um, the Workforce Development Center, who didn't get this job fair, was stunned, didn't know who we were. They showed up to see, what's this group doing? Mm. And we were off and running. And so that's kind of how how we started in 2002. Wow. I, I, was, I almost interrupted you kind of in the middle of that <clears throat> to ask for clarification on who, who is we? When you were talking about, you know, we did this and we reached out and blah, blah, blah. Are we still talking about that mission committee at yeah. your church? Yeah, it started out as, as, as the mission committee, but it soon began to expand. And like I said, we had two Lutheran pastors come in. Uh, Terry McGugan from St. Michael's became, became involved. Um, and then they brought some people from their congregations, uh, James Novak, who uh, many people may know, he, he uh, ran Novak Appliance for decades in, in Racine. Uh, he became interested in what we're doing and came on. And all of a sudden, we had more what was looking like a board than a kind of direction team or a, a startup team. And, uh, and from there, these community partners, we had uh, the chaplain from the Racine Jail was fascinated by what we were doing. And he thought this might have some connection uh, to people coming out of jail who could find their feet and get out of that rotating, revolving door of, of in and out of jail. Uh, recidivism rates in jail are huge. They're like 75%. It's nothing like mm -hmm. prison. Uh, people who, who go to jail tend to go to jail many times. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's breaking that cycle. 
can be kind of tough. It really is a breaking a mindset and, a, and an attitude about how you see your world around you. And without unpacking that, you're probably not going to be able to sustain a, a, what we sometimes call a pro-social lifestyle. Right. So that's what we hear so much about in particular, the, the, the work that you do with that particular population. But my understanding is that you're not necessarily limited to that. Right. So give us uh, maybe a clearer sense of kind of the scope of to whom you are offering these services and how they find you. Um, people find us now 20 years later, uh, there's a lot of word of mouth out there. And so uh, it's really, I've been fascinated when we see children of people we worked with <laughs> come into the office and go, yeah, my, ah. mom, my mom sent me, wow. <laughs> told, told me about you or my cousin huh. told me about you. Uh, but uh, we have two kind of uh, program buckets. One is, is uh, which is how we started, it's just simply called the, the RVM Jobs Program or the walk-in program. Uh, anybody can come. There's no prerequisites. But the demographics that tend to come are people who have had a lot of entry-level jobs and people who have had issues with, uh, with uh, illegal substances, drugs or alcohol, um, people who have uh, had a lot of problems with, uh, with incarceration, uh, whether it's low-level incarcerations, like uh, I shouldn't say low-level, but things like DUIs or, or uh, you know, uh, different kinds of charges. Uh, and then uh, we have a uh, second chance program, which is specifically um, a program designed to bring people from the Department of Corrections, referred by the Department of Corrections, who have had felony convictions and, uh, and are on probation. Mm -hmm. So the second chance program is very specific and has to have some, re uh, there have to be referred by the Department of Corrections. So those, those are the two buckets. Mm -hmm. Before we move on, I want you to just explain a little more about the relationship between RBM and this other agency up in Milwaukee, which in a sense sparked all of this when you yeah. heard about their work. So in what ways is what you're doing a direct mirror of what they do, or are there ways in which you uh, took their model but then made it your own? That's a really interesting question. I still have a very close contact with the uh, director, former director of that agency who has become a, a life friend. Um, and uh, their program was essentially what I've described as the walk-in program. That's, that's what mm. they did. That is all that they did. Um, and they were very good at it. Uh, when, when we took the program, uh, w it was a mirror image for about eight months. And then we saw there were some things that worked better in Milwaukee that didn't work as well in Racine. Uh, there were some just ways of the way that, that we engaged with a, an entirely new uh, uh, demographic here in a program that hadn't uh, was, was still pretty young. And so uh, t the Abundant Life model was really dependent on the church. I mean, it was completely and mm -hmm. utterly dependent on the church. Uh, and we found that uh, the community connectors in Racine were extremely interested in what we were doing. The Workforce Development Center, Department of Corrections, uh, they were all extremely interested in what we were doing and wanted to be, uh, wanted to find ways to find uh, seats for their folks with us. And it wasn't too long after being in the work, maybe about a year, we started doing some data. Um, and uh, close to half of the people who came to see us had some significant uh, uh, issues in uh, criminal background or uh, challenges with the legal system, even if they've never been charged. And so, uh, you know, we started to really think what, how can we serve 
that population more specifically. And so at that point, we started to kind of morph away from what we were doing. The training program that we inherited um, began to become more of, of uh, Lori Life's work, another uh, of our uh, key employees, who saw that, that there, some things needed to be changed and, and updated. And so little by little, we kind of became our own organization. And by year three, I think, we'd, we looked like abundant life on steroids. It was mm. just a larger program. We were seeing many more people, um, and we were putting a, a, a great number of people, a great number more people to work than they had in Milwaukee. And so our staff grew. The Milwaukee office was was never more than two people, um, and now we, we, our staff right now, we're currently at eight employees. Wow. For those of you just joining us, we are talking today about Racine Kenosha Vocational Ministry uh, with James Schatzman, the Executive Director, and in a moment we're going to be talking with Heather Bennett, who is Program Director for the Reentry Program. Uh, Jim, maybe you could clarify this Racine Kenosha matter. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like the flyer you have, uh, and of course for many years, uh, Racine Vocational Ministry is what we saw, mm-hmm. but I know in something or other, uh, I read Kenosha snuck in there. Can you tell us about that expanse, expansion in scope? Sure. And that really happened as a result of the Second Chance program. And maybe at some point we can bring Heather into this conversation. Um, and uh, in my mind, I've been thinking about moving into Kenosha. And some Kenosha folks had said, we'd really like to have the business here. Uh, is there any way you can expand um, and always, you got to get your funding in front of that. And mm. so, looking for folks who were uh, uh, willing to put money to make the program happen. Uh, at one point, the Department of Corrections kept saying to us, "Look, this our their region is Racine, Kenosha, Walworth," and they said, "We would love to have you in Kenosha. Our agents are hearing more and more about what's happening in Racine, and we'd like to have that happen here." Uh, we developed some relationships, one uh, especially with uh, Tara Wendricks, who is now the Assistant Regional Chief of Corrections, um, and she was a real advocate in helping mm-hmm. us to develop the Kenosha program. We started very, very small. We got a couple of church donations from St. Matthew's and St. Mary's uh, uh, Lutheran and St. Matthew's Episcopal uh, and Light of Christ Anglican Church, and it was just enough that we could put somebody in there, point two. <laughs> you know, one day a week we had somebody coming down to uh, Kenosha, and uh, maybe Heather wants to start to talk about that. She started it at uh, uh, the Hope Council with uh, with Guida Brown, gave us a space and said, I'll give you a space and I won't charge you, which really was exactly what we needed. Huh. And so we started that. You want to talk a little bit about the startup? Sure. sure. So we started with, I think it was five or six clients in mm-hmm. Kenosha. And we were in the small little space, and <laughs> we were inches apart from the clients. But um, Kenosha has a, a desperate need for a reentry, and mm. I grew up here. So it was, it was um, fascinating for me to come all the way full circle and come back, especially since I started at the Hope Council as an intern. Uh. <laughs> um, and then to be there providing our program that I've been doing in Racine for years was was uh, very fascinating. So yeah. we were very excited when we first started, even though it was really slow. Racine had been on 10 for <laughs> years, and then we come to Kenosha, and it slowed down a little bit. But we started at the Hope Council, and, mm-hmm. and now we're over at um, the ELCA Outreach Center on 63rd. And Carl Erickson, um, I met him at a prison reentry fair and was talking to him about the work I was doing in Kenosha. And he said, well, I have a 
much bigger space if you would like. Ah. <laughs> um, we also offer clothing and food and um, all of these things that your folks can utilize if you would like. And so then we moved over to the ALC Outreach mm-hmm. Center. And currently we're at about 35 um, as of yesterday in Kenosha, but it's about to move up there um, starting today because we're getting a whole slew of new people as we've moved into full-time mm. starting today in Kenosha. So that's clients you're talking about yes. that you're, yeah. that you're yes. working with. So tell us about uh, coming aboard uh, 10 years ago. Uh, first of all, uh, were you offered the position that you currently have or, did, or was your entry point to receive vocational ministry something a little different? It was definitely a little different. Um, I started off at um, RVM as an intern. So I came there as a gateway intern, which is funny because they don't normally take gateway interns, but they took me and I I had a big aspiration to be an AODA counselor. I thought, I am going to go save lives. I'm a person in long-term recovery. So that was my goal was to help other people uh, recover from addiction. And so I came to RVM and I was blown away at all the other pieces that reentry included. Hmm. As a, a former reentrant myself, I had no idea that there was these programs out here. So I was just like, "Wow, this is in, this is amazing!" You know. Hmm. So started there as an intern, but then when I finished school, they they wouldn't hire me right away because <laughs> I had to have experience. Um, so I went up to Milwaukee and worked at the Meta House as a living support specialist for about six months. Mm-hmm. And then they brought me back on as an employee. So I started off as a contractor. And then maybe six months after mm-hmm. that, I became an actual employee. And then um, I worked under uh, my former boss for maybe three years, mm-hmm. three years or so. And then he left and then I became, there was, someone had to fill in his position. So I, I uh, filled in as the program coordinator and then uh, about five or six years ago, I became program director. There you go. Some of the smartest decisions we ever made. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it from the very, very good. So let's get a, let's, uh, let's get a, a clearer picture of the kind of stuff that you do for the people who come in the door uh, who who just need help. What is the kind of help that they are offered? Sure. So most traditionally reentry programs focus on employment. So that is something that makes us a little bit unique. We're focused on the cognitive intervention piece of it. So we're working to help people change the way they think so that they act differently. Mm. And I think that's the simplest way to put it for a lot of people um, that don't really know what cognitive intervention is. It's basically changing the way that you think. So we take a very relational approach with our folks. So when you come in, it's more like we're sitting down, having a conversation, getting to know them, taking the relational aspect, and then we become their support. And the number one reason, I say this all the time, even to the guys in the prison, the number one reason that people stay home is support. So when they feel supported, even if it's not from family, um, they tend to do a little bit better. So we're talking about cognitive intervention, um, employment is a piece of that, because everyone has to work to to support themselves, and then um, just working through those steps. It's a lifelong process. They didn't get here in a day, so it can take a little bit of time, but it's a very relational aspect. So we're, we're mostly doing counseling. I would, in the 
technical terms, it's counseling. Mm-hmm. And I would say too, that in the, the, the relational piece can't be can't be sold hard enough in terms of how we do what we do. And one real simple example is when when. Heather or any case manager has a new person uh, that they're working with. When they uh, finish their first appointment, as they go out through the agency, they're introduced to everybody in the agency. Hmm. And and that's kind of not typical. You go to the workforce development, you're going to meet with somebody and then you're going to leave. At RVM, we make sure that they know that if they have an emergency, and they're in the office and Heather's not there, and she's they're the only person she knows, they're going to feel lost. Mm. And so, you know, even all the way up to the director, it, you know, if somebody comes in and they need assistance, we're there to make sure that they can be helped. They know that they have a support network, and they don't know that they can reach out to the people that report to Heather or report to Lori. This is an environment where, uh, where you as a person are important. And people often ask us, well, you're a ministry. You know, I don't hear a lot of God talk. Mm. Well, you know, our ministry is, is somewhat shaped in a, in a Mother Teresa kind of way. You know, she would say things that got her in trouble with the Pope all the time. You know, you pray to your God, I'll pray to mine, and everything <laughs> will come out okay. You know, somewhat controversial. But the tone of that is a little bit who we are. We're not proselytizing. We're not doing prayer groups. But we, we really, and I'll just say this, we really do love the people that we work with. We, we develop these relationships that are life-giving and life-supporting. We're not just either filling information into a bucket or we're not just uh, helping somebody get meet their transactional needs. Um, in order for the transformation to happen, for people to be squarely on their feet, they have to know that people in their circle um, really care about them. Um, Jim Wilder, a psychologist, uh, uh, says sometimes, you know, can you be the person whose eyes light up when they come into the room? Our, something happens mm. in our brain when that happens. You know, when, you, when, you're, when you're a grandparent, you, you get this, all this, it just hits you in the face that when your grandchild comes in and you light up, they light up. Something happens in your brain that, that is not just a one-time thing. Our identity centers are mirrors. They're not, it's, it's not that we just figure out who we are. We know who we are based on how those around us perceive us and feel about us. And when people around you uh, care about you, they take joy in the fact that you're coming in to see them. This is not drudgery work. We're really developing relationships. And when that happens, people begin to, their attitudes begin to shift about who they are. And once that happens, their feet start to get more solid under them, and they're more ready to take uh, a tough step to mm-hmm. a, a, a new way of learning, a new way of thinking that can be a real challenge in their family system. But that, that, that the fact that they have people who just really care about them, uh, whose eyes light up when they come into the room, gives them a basis to work from that, frankly, we all need. Right. And I'm sure we're sometimes talking about people, not in every instance, but in many instances where they don't have that. I mean, they probably have the opposite, (laughs) that when they walk in, people roll their eyes or, you know, kind of grit their teeth because they're expecting something very unpleasant or whatever. And uh, even in their family systems. Sure. And this is where it really gets... Especially there, maybe. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. uh, I should say to people sometimes that... uh, you know, your, your folks, your parents or your, your brothers and sisters may be the last person you stole the TV from to get their fix before they went back, back to jail or prison. Uh, they're not always all that happy that you came back. Wow. So 
when we're talking about working with somebody and, for instance, in the whole matter of counseling and so on, what kind of expertise do you and your staff bring to that particular task? Because, I mean, the way you were framing it just now sort of feels like something that just about anybody could do. Mm-hmm. I mean, that piece about making people feel welcomed and cherished and so on. I mean, you don't need a, a certificate on hanging on the wall right, right. Uh, for, for that to be possible. But to take it to that next step of changing their thinking and that kind of thing, uh, what kind of expertise and training uh, do you have in order to offer that in a really meaningful way? I'm going to punt this to Heather in just a second here, but to talk about uh, two things that we look at that really have helped us as an agency. Uh, something we sometimes refer to as lived experience. Um, in the business, sometimes they call them subject matter experts, uh, people who have had to walk that walk mm. uh, before. Um, but also uh, the other area is the uh, cognitive intervention training that Heather's received from uh, at the University of Cincinnati, which is a leading uh, institution in the area of uh, of, of uh, criminal science. And so I'd like to have Heather talk a little bit about those two areas. Sure, sure. So um, we use a tool called ORAS, the Ohio Risk Assessment System. It's evidence-based. It, it basically captures a person's um, risk to recidivate, right? So mm. someone will come in and we need to f- figure out um, what their risks are. Are they low, medium, or high? And part of the piece that, um, I don't know if it was said or not, but we actually only work with medium to high risk to recidivate individuals coming home from prison for second chance. Oh. So these are folks that the Department of Correction has established that they're high, medium or high risk to return. Wow. So you're taking on tougher cases yes. uh, and, and doing so consciously mm-hmm. and purposefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, Intentionally, for sure. Yeah, wow. Um, so what do we bring to the table? Um, well, we treat addiction as not just a drugs and alcohol thing. We treat it as a behavior. So we're <clears throat> experts. I call us subject matter experts in addiction and behavior. So you get individuals coming with drug addiction. You get in- individuals coming with criminality. We treat that all in one mm. um, bubble as an addiction. And so that is how we start to focus on changing the behavior. But this population doesn't just allow you to do that. This is where the relational piece comes in. Because if they do not trust you, they will not talk to you. Mm-hmm. So we focus a lot on relational first. And then we get into But as we're doing that, we're getting into the hard work and building that trust with them to get break through some of these um, narratives, lifelong narratives that they have. One of, one of my interesting pieces I use for people that aren't familiar with addiction and a lot of people will say, well, they should just stop using or they should just stop doing this. And then I'll say to a regular person, have you ever tried to diet? You know, how did that work out? Mm. Oh, it didn't work for you. Why was that? You, get, you lost the weight, but then you gained it back. It's because you didn't change the way you thought about food. And so we're working mm-hmm. to help people change the way they think about these things so that they, then they behave differently. There's where all that ties together, you know, but it's a process and it takes a little while. We make it sound very easy. It's it's a very <laughs> lengthy process, though. Well, I should think absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, as as Jim is talking about, you know, that that love is a big part of this. Uh, I should think, while that's completely true, and in fact, that's a piece that we probably couldn't talk about too much. I mean, uh, and and it is something that's probably missing from the equation in a lot of other places. On the other hand, I suspect that we uh, are talking about what 
sometimes gets called tough love. That is, it has to be love within the, the framework of seeing somebody clearly for who they are, for uh, seeing past the deceits and, 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 uh, and sometimes having to speak very plainly and straightforwardly to them. I mean, uh, this isn't just rainbows and, <laughs> and, and uh, it isn't that necessarily that kind of love. That's probably not enough, enough in many of these sure. cases. That's where the lived experience comes in, right? That's where, where we're able to keep it real, so to say, with our folks and, and just speak the plain truth. And they actually appreciate that. They don't, you know, when you're giving tough love out in a compassionate way, they feel that and they respond to that. You know, you can take the toughest of, of street gang members and put them in our offices and we're able to, to, to connect with them and work with them in a way that you would never imagine because we keep it real with them. So that's the benefit of the staff that we have. We have a whole team of lived experienced individuals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. we're able to um, connect with them on a different level and an understanding level, but also a, an accountable level. Like someone has to hold us accountable. Right. I would say then on top of that, uh, you know, it's not love to not tell the truth. Mm. Um, mm. You know, it's, it, I, I love this quote by uh, Joan Chittister, a, a, a nun from England who said, you know, Christianity isn't about being nice. It's about being real. Mm. And I think in, in America we have this idea that, you know, being a good Christian is just being exceedingly nice. Um, it's never saying anything that will make somebody uncomfortable because that just wouldn't be nice. Uh, in this work, um, the truth is essential. Um, and helping a person to realize that you know, their behaviors that they've done are not who they are. So there's an identity issue that needs to be mm. sorted out. Um, you know, none of us want to be defined by the worst day of our life. Right. I'm a screw up. That's right. That's right. Or I screwed up once. Therefore, you know, that's just who I am. You, you literally take that on as an identity. Not that I've made a mistake or that I've screwed up, but that I am a screw up. Uh, that has to be unpacked because, um, you know, the, the faith-based part that comes through is we believe that everybody was created in the image of God, you know, and, and, and as, as Psalm 139 says, you know, that we were knit together in the womb by our creator. That has implications. And uh, we weren't knit together in the womb by the, the creator of the universe to be a bank robber or, mm-hmm. or a murderer. That, that's not the intent, was not the intention of the creator. And so, you know, without getting preachy to our folks, we understand that their identity is rooted in something beyond them and greater than them. And this gives somebody who's really led a, a life of some serious criminality or still has nightmares about the person they murdered, you know, that, that, that this really helps them to realize that and to begin to find that place where their feet are squarely under them, where they, they understand that they're a, a creation of God. And, and the implications of that are that uh, they can be forgiven. I often with folks, I had several clients over the years uh, who were convicted of, of, of manslaughter or murder. Hmm. Um, and the example I would use to them is, uh, is the Apostle Paul. Um, I have dubbed him amongst my clients as the patron saint of murderers. Hmm. And that was Paul's life. You know, he was a zealot. He was, uh, you know, rounding up Christians and having them executed or imprisoned uh, for nothing more than than being a Christian. And so, uh, you know, when God knocked him off his horse, he didn't say, this is the day of reckoning. You are so screwed. Mm. You know, he said, I have need of you. Mm. 
that's a powerful message to somebody who has been highly antisocial and is really guilty and feels like they, they can't change their lives because that's who they are and they'll never be anything different. Nobody will ever see them different. When they realize that God took a murderer uh, and placed him as one of the most important people in the early church and you know a writer of a good portion of the New Testament, it's like they've been in the church, a lot of these folks have been in the church their whole lives, never made that connection, mm. never made it. And so there's a, there's a again, Paul was a was a missionary with lived experience, <laughs> as we talked about earlier. Right, you and know. he wouldn't have been Paul without being Saul. That's I mean, right. He brought That's right. a lot right. of that past into, right. into 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 what he did. So the fact that we understand that, you know, gives a a, a certain level of of very deep respect, and that feels even not quite strong enough, but a very level of deep respect and hope that whatever they were knit together in the womb for is recoverable. Hmm. Um, and so although we don't preach that, we, we act that out, we live that out, and, and every day we're telling people this is not the end of the road for you. You're not defined by the worst things you've done in your life. Hmm. That's love. Yeah. We're speaking with James Schatzman and Heather Bennett about the work of uh, Racine Kenosha uh, Vocational Ministry, celebrating its 20th anniversary and recently its 5,000th worker placement. So beyond all of this incredibly important work that we have been doing, that we've been talking about, the work that you do, uh, there is also this uh, matter far from mundane of placing people in employment, which can be, in a sense, uh, maybe not the full culmination. I mean, even there, the work, the hard work does not end. But uh, talk for a moment about that piece of this and how that fits into what we've just been talking about. As Heather said, it's really uh, it's 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 a little bit downstream in the process because uh, we're not a contract agency. Somebody's not coming in. We're saying, gee, we got fifty jobs available to fill today. Um, you go to that one. You go to that one. You go to right. that one. Um, that's the work of a contract agency is to quickly find people that they can turn around and turn back in. We are not a quick process. Mm-hmm. Um, we are a process of life development, uh, with some experts would call soft skill development. Um, placing a person in a job whose mindset is is riddled with criminality is a recipe for disaster. Mm. Um, they just don't make it. You know, they uh, their supervisor criticizes criticizes them, and they want to take them out in the parking lot. Yeah, right. you know, they just they're thinking in a whole different frame. So they think uh, this. You know, if you've been in gang life, it, the, the whole idea is rule by domination. It's the old Roman rule of rule by domination. You got to be the strongest, smartest, or, or cagiest, or, or toughest guy on the block. And you always have to keep asserting that position so that you feel safe. Um, it doesn't work in a, in, a, in a job. You can't go into a new job and try to assert your toughness to everybody there. They'll let you go in hours. You will not make it. And so really it's about, again, it's about thinking about your world in a whole new way. Um, if you go into that job, even, and, and we find very often that people are not just wanting to assert that they're tough, they're also, they have a lot of fear underneath that, that they're just mm. not going to be able to make it in a pro-social world. These people are really square. They don't talk like me. They don't understand things like me. And so I really don't fit, but I'll try and make it. And if you don't fit into a team, again, you're just making it harder for yourself to move ahead. So really it's about it really beginning to shape your worldview that has uh, hope at the end of the line rather than 
imminent disaster at the end of the line. Um, and that's that's a hard thing to change in somebody's life when they're rooted in that negativity that says, uh, you know, I, I can get something for a time, but it's never going to last. Mm-hmm. You know, th- that can undermine you as well and undermine the decisions you make that cause you to look like you don't fit or you don't care or you don't want to be here. Right. Um, and so that's why we try, especially in the Second Chance program, but also in our other programming, to make sure that people understand how you fit in a team. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? How do you, you know, how do you how do you build build a team? How do you how do you become how do you break into a closed system? Mm-hmm. You know, whenever you come into a team, you're, you're kind of the oddball for a while. No matter how good you are, right. you got to fit in. You better be able to handle that mm-hmm. that sensation. Yep. It sounds like one of the things that is important here is knowing when somebody is ready mm-hmm. for this step. I mean, to not put them in prematurely. Uh, into into a situation they're not prepared to handle. And there's a lot of reasons f- to be careful. I mean, one of them is for their sake. That's probably the most important thing, but also for the sake of your agency and your That's reputation right. and so on. So uh, talk about that piece of it, that the assessment of of knowing or at least thinking you know that somebody is, is ready for that next step. Sure. So in Second Chance, we, we tend to – we tend to try to find out what someone enjoys doing, right? So, because when you're excited about something, you tend to want to do it more, right? And working, especially with our drug dealers, they have a really hard time with money. They will never make enough money. You know, uh, the drug dealing world is very prosperous. Mm. They make a lot of money very quickly. They don't mm. have to do a lot of work. They don't report to people. They they just, um, so changing that narrative has been very tough. So we tend to see people a little bit more ready when um, they're making their appointments, they're doing their what we give them homework. Um, my homework is always really fun, but I give them homework <laughs> and when they're starting to do some little small goals that they're achieving, the reality is is that everyone needs to make some money. You cannot survive without having an income. So we have to find a way to get them moving a little bit quicker. Um, I do tend to try to get people into a path of career versus you know, I'd rather mm. have one job than 10 jobs, you know. Right. Um, and then when you like what you're doing, like I said before, you tend to want to stay there. Sure. So and we want them to move up. And so finding out what their interests are, keeping them engaged. If they're engaged, then we would push a little harder for the sure. for the job readiness piece. And by the way, what, what are we talking about when we're talking about homework? So I tend to give people things like bucket lists and um, – goal, little small attainable, achievable goals, because a lot of these folks have never completed anything they've started. Mm -hmm. So you give them something small, we work really small first, and then you can move into the bigger goals. Most people think that goals are like my five-year plan is to own a home and do this. We're talking about in two weeks, what are we going to get done? Mm. You know, in small little increments, and then we build that up. It's just like building your endurance. So, right. And then bucket list is not your typical bucket list. I'm I'm over here asking them to do, th- like, what are things that you've always wanted to do in life that you've never done because of your lifestyle? So an example I love to use is I had a, a really from the street gang member, former gang member, just as hard as they come, said he'd never watched the sunrise ever ah. by himself. So I told him, let's make that a reality, you know, go do that. And he's like, no, I'm not doing that. It's, it's not for me. That's, that's what girls do, you know. <laughs> and one day he decided he was going to go do it. So he did it. And then I came back and I said, okay, so tell me what you were thinking about while you were there, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
And he said, I wasn't thinking about anything. Mm. He said, for 15 minutes, I my brain was completely empty. And I was like, right, because we found some peace. Mm. And now he does that every week. You mm. know, so this is, we're, we're trying to find other ways for them to clear their mind out. You know, meditation doesn't work for everybody. <laughs> so we're finding different ways that increase their joy in their life. So. Wow. And that creates change. See, it's a big circle. Absolutely. That, that is a fundamental of what we do, too, this idea that, that uh, you know, you create more joy moments. And it, 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 those memories and those uh, uh, times that you're, you're doing something, whether, it, even, whether it's alone or with somebody, ch- can, can change your perspective out of that negative, uh, that negative uh, mindset. And even for relatively healthy people, uh, the, the opportunity to, to – rehearse and remember those moments of joy in, in your in your life which we sometimes will share over coffee or a beer with friends you know is not always something that that a lot of people know how to do or it's not been built into their lives um, and so it may be as simple as take your kids to the museum I've ne- you've never been to a museum mm. you know the, the museum is kitty corner from RVM you know and and, and uh, They'll go, oh, I never really knew what that building was. Wow. You know, never thought to go in. Hmm. And, and, you know, and to take your little kids and, 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 have, and they don't have things, they feel like they don't relate to their kids. They're not sure how to make that connection, especially if they've been gone to prison for a while. And it's like, take them to a museum, take them to a park, take them swimming, take them, you know, you, you give them these, this is the kind of goals Heather's talking about. Hmm. So what are our goals for the next month? Here's, you want to do an activity with your kids, you want to do something you've never done before, and do something which we sometimes lump into a bucket called uh, pro-social activities. You know, things you can do without harming the community um, that are equally as exciting or interesting. Maybe they've never been to a baseball game. Um, or things like that. And so you get, the, you get them going, uh, get folks going into the community and participating with the community in kind of what we, I refer to as, as life-giving ways mm. uh, rather than life-draining or life-harming ways. Mm. Um, and that begins to change somebody. Yeah. So the job piece, so does RVM have, in a sense, employment partners with whom you work extensively? Or when it comes to that piece, then are you kind of looking for jobs the way most people are looking for jobs. We tend to be at, at our best when we're employment coaches. Uh, we don't have a lot of partnerships, and actually COVID did a real number on our mm. on our ability to work closely with employers. So we're in the process of rebuilding that that piece. Uh, we've always had several employers that, that have worked with us uh, until COVID hit, uh, and uh, we developed those relationships. But basically we're teaching people how to fish. You know, mm. we're going to, here's how you use the market. Here's how you network. Here's how you interview in ways that you're going to, you know, up your uh, possibility of getting the job. Here's, uh, you know, in, in the interview, do you have a couple of, of good questions to ask about the company? You know, do you understand that you're also interviewing the company? They're not mm-hmm. just interviewing you. You know, there's two interests here going on, and you don't have to be embarrassed to, to ask for, you know, what's what this company has to offer you in terms of, uh, maybe paying for schools uh, classes at Gateway. Do have an educational program development for their employees? You know, are how do you promote within this company? You know, is it do you generally promote from the outside, or if you promote from the inside, how do I how do I position myself for that? What kind of education do I need? Um, when you start interviewing like that, rather than geez, I just hope I get a job, mm. um, you know, the employer becomes more interested in you because they look like somebody you look like somebody they can invest in, and so. You know, over the course of time, you know, we've helped 
now over 5,000 people get connected to jobs or education. Um, and this is just the first step for folks. A lot of folks we see um, fall into this demographic where their reading levels at the third or fourth grade level, their math skills are, are almost never above fifth grade level. Um, and that's going to really challenge you in the job market. Sure. Uh, may even challenge you in filling out a job application. Right. Um, and so, you know, we coach people through those kinds of things. We help them get uh, their GEDs or HSEDs. Um, we've done. We've paid for a lot of courses at Gateway to help people get their 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 general education under their feet, as well as helping people to get uh, some of the certificates that are offered at Gateway. Which now the industry is beginning to shift a little bit, you know, away from this idea that everybody needs a four-year degree or even right. a two-year degree. Uh, do you have the proper certification to do the job that will work here? Certificates you can get in anywhere from, you know, uh, six weeks to, to, to 30 weeks. And you have a certificate to, to do a living wage job. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's a shorter path if folks are willing to put in the time and allow themselves to be mentored and supported through a process they probably didn't do very well in. One of the elephants in the room with a lot of our clients is their school experiences were terrible. Mm. <laughs> There's a lot of shame and anxiety around what it means to be in a classroom or to take a test. And so the idea of getting somebody in this population to just say, hey, go to school and everything will be all right, <laughs> it's kind of, you just, you just terrified them. Right. Um, you know, and they're trying to be cool and collected, but, you know, so they need more support. And if you can get that support around them, which is part of it's just talking to somebody like Heather every, every week and going, yeah, I'm still struggling. Well, have you looked at uh, the services available for, you know, for, uh, for school support? You know, uh, there's uh, Gateway has a lot of supports in mm -hmm. place for students to keep going. And, and uh, our folks just don't know about that stuff. And they're afraid to ask for help sometimes, too. Mm -hmm. They think that's very uncool. Mm. to ask for help. Um, and so Heather spends a lot of time. So Heather people. tells them what's really cool. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Jim, real quick, uh, if people uh, are inspired by this story and want to help, uh, what is the best way for just people out in the community to be helpful to RVM? Uh, they can call me at uh, RVM at... Uh, 262-633-8660. And we can talk about, um, we sometimes have opportunities for people to uh, talk about their life story to our training classes. Uh, we've done a lot lately. Again, COVID stopped a lot of stuff, mm. uh, but we're starting to get that back online. Uh, folks can, uh, uh, we've had in the past, we've had people who uh, can support people helping them make resumes. Um, and uh, we've had people, mostly program people who've gone through who serve as mentors. Um, there are, it's, it's a, it's somewhat of a clinical practice. And so there's not a lot of places for volunteers to hook into the programming itself. Um, but, uh, we're always looking for, uh, for monetary support. If this sounds like something you didn't know about and you're interested in, uh, helping us to, to meet more people and expand our services, uh, you can always reach out to us. We'd be happy to talk to you. Very good. Again, that phone number 262-633-8660. For Racine Kenosha Vocational Ministry. And at the helm, Executive Director James Schatzman, and in the trenches working so hard <laughs> in this important work, Heather Bennett, Program Director for the Reentry Program. Thank you both uh, for the work you do, and thank you for coming on the morning show today to uh, tell this important story. Happy anniversary to you and everybody at RVM. Thanks thank so much, you. Greg.